Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. see you guys. Hey, I want to welcome all of our campuses. So glad you're, we get to hang together this weekend. And for those of you that might be joining us online as well, so grateful for you. And I want to add my also happy Father's Day to all you guys. I'm just so grateful for the way that so many of you are pouring love and kindness and tenderness and confidence and encouragement and truth uh, into your kids. And the cool thing about it is some of you didn't have a great experience when you were growing up, but you just decided, you know, I'm going to be a cycle breaker, and I'm going to give my kids a brand new experience, a brand new environment. Uh, some of you, you've stepped into a blended family, and you filled a huge hole in a kid's life. And some of you might even be in that season right now, like my youngest son, where you don't even have to work out anymore. You're just carrying car seats around, curling all day long with those car seats. And some of you might be in my season, uh, where my kids call me Papa Uber. Uh, I take them to soccer practice, baseball practice, pick them up from school. I'm just Ubering all, all over the place. And some of you might not even be a dad, but you just pour into kids on the field, in the classroom, in the gym, in the neighborhood, maybe in our kids' ministry or our, or our student ministry. By the way, kids. Quest this past week, 4,000, 4,000 kids, 1,500 people who volunteered uh, for Kids Quest, so, so thank you. Yeah, just so, so cool. I just, I, I just want every man listening right now, and woman too, but every man to know that you are a much-loved son of a perfect heavenly father, and he sees enormous potential in you, and I'm so grateful for you, and grateful to be a part of a church where there are so many good dudes who are just trying to make a difference with their life. So thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Now, uh, speaking of good dudes, I I'm excited to introduce you to one today. Uh, we're in this series where we're trying to uh, slip our feet into the shoes of different people who encountered Jesus. Uh, week one, if you're with us, you might remember how we kind of squeezed our toes into a pair of stilettos, which represented a woman who had been looking for love in all the wrong places. And we learned that weekend that all of us can just come to Jesus in our brokenness. We can come to Him in our shame, our dysfunction, our addictions, our confusion, our pain, and He will stoop down in the dirt and meet us where we are as we are. And he can wipe the slate clean and satisfy our search for love. Last week, uh, we met a wingtip wearer, uh, an intellectual, uh, professorial type named Nicodemus, who arranges this secret meeting at night with Jesus and has this face-in-face -face encounter that starts this skeptic on a journey of faith. And we watched him move from doubter to defender to a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Such a cool story. And if you missed either one of the first two episodes of Shoes, uh, you can get online and catch up. And today I'm excited because we're going to pull on a pair of these. I like these. 
I like the people who wear these. And I know actually the one who these belong to. And the, all the wear and holes on them represent the way he selflessly serves other people. And today we're going to walk in the work boots of a hard-working, blue-collar, calloused hands, Carhartt-wearing, Bass Pro Shop kind of guy. He is a tough guy. He's a military guy. But he's also a tender guy who really understood what authority is. Now, when I say the word authority, what comes to your mind? What kind of people? Police, uh, principal, teacher, coach, boss, president, governor, mayor, parents. Now, the Bible is really, really clear on the appropriate response that we are to have to those who are in authority over us. It says that unless it's contrary to how God has told us to live, we are to submit to those in authority. Now, sometimes it is contrary to what God would have us do. Perhaps a boss tells you you got to lie or you got to participate in some kind of cover-up. In those cases, you always have to go with what God says over what others are telling you to do. And of course, we should never just blindly follow people. But for the most part, you and I are to live with this humble attitude of submission toward those in authority. Now, the word submission makes some of you shudder, doesn't it? And it clearly has been abused. But when submission is done right, I found it to actually be a very life-giving thing. The original word for submit came from the military world, and it literally means to voluntarily place yourself under. To voluntarily place yourself under. Now, I got to admit, that's not always easy to do, right? I mean, you get a ticket that you did not deserve, and you still got to go to traffic school. That may or may not have happened to me. It, or it's time to play like, like your unreasonably high IRS tax bill, or the umpire totally blows the call, or the parent sets some kind of curfew that you think is really, really lame, or a teacher gives you some unreasonable amount of homework, or corporate headquarters hands down this new org chart and gives you a brand new supervisor that's not nearly as talented as you are. It's tough to submit to authority sometimes, but that's what we're called to do. And I've been learning that real authority has less to do with your position than it does to do with your disposition, the way we treat people. You see, we, we tend to equate authority with title, control, power, intimidation, and this respect that's demanded. Authority really doesn't work like that. Let, let me show you the way most in our world think authority flows, and you've most likely had this play out in your life at some point. It's authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. Now, if you read this list as is, this is the way most leaders think authority works. I'm in a position of authority over you. Therefore, I can hold you accountable for your performance. And if you perform good enough, I may affirm you with a raise, promotion, a bonus, maybe a little praise, and then perhaps you'll feel accepted, but that's between you and your therapist. I really don't care. That's the way a lot of people try to lead. That top-down, read the org chart, buddy. I am over you, so get in line type of leadership. Anybody else been led by a leader like that? Now, let me ask you, looking at this list, the same list, and knowing the countercultural nature of Jesus, how do you think the greatest leader who ever lived viewed authority? I'm talking about the one who really did possess 
all the rights and ultimate authority. I'm talking about the one who really is overall top, very top of the org chart. Which end of this list do you think Jesus started from with people? Yeah, Jesus worked from the bottom up. He began by accepting the person as someone created in the image of God. Then he affirmed them as a person of great worth and dignity. And when they knew that they were unconditionally accepted and affirmed as a person of great price, then they were wide open to accountability and they recognized, even voluntarily placed themselves under his authority. You see, we, we, we can force some external accountability through threats and intimidation and powering up on people, but people will not respond in a healthy way unless they know they are accepted and affirmed. And I don't know, but maybe that's a good word for some of you parents to hear. Maybe it's a good word for some of you employers to hear, some of you coaches to hear, some of us leaders to hear. Gang, nobody did it quite like Jesus. You see, real leaders understand mutual submission. They're just genuine servant leaders who say, I'm not concerned about the org chart. I'm not on a self-centered ego trip. I'm here to facilitate your success. I'm interested in serving you and helping you flourish. You see, you may have the position of authority, but real authority is given, and real authority is easily recognized. Jesus uh, gave this amazing talk one time. It's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can read it in the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Just, it's just awesome. And when, the, when his talk was over, this is what it says about Jesus in verse 28. After Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had what? Real authority. Quite unlike the teachers of religious law, the teachers of religious law, the leaders of the day, they placed themselves in authority. They elevated themselves to a superior position over people. They did the pyramid org chart thing. They led from the top down. They demanded respect. There is no instant in the Gospels where Jesus ever demanded respect. I mean, think about this. He had no earthly position of authority. He didn't walk around wearing a, hey, I'm the Messiah, deal with it t-shirt. He wasn't always flashing his God credentials. People just recognized his authority because of his character. And that's how real authority works. And that's how it works in this encounter between Jesus and this work boot wearing soldier. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. you got an app that you use, or you can follow along on the screens, or you can do both. But Jesus had just finished that famous sermon on the mount. And then it says this in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. That was kind of home base for Jesus for his ministry, kind of a coastal city where he hung out a lot. There, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Now, just a quick explanation, if you've never heard the term centurion, not talking about a hundred-year-old man here. That would be a, 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 a hundred-year-old man. But this, this guy was a Roman military officer with a rank somewhere between like colonel and lieutenant, most likely a captain, who was responsible for the command of 100 soldiers, hence the title centurion. So this guy understands the chain of command. He knows authority. He has worked his way up through the ranks in this highly structured Roman world in which he lived. Verse 3, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. Now, this is, this is kind of cool because the people of Palestine, they hated the Roman occupation. And they hated all who represented Rome's domination and authority. Plus, Roman soldiers, they were notorious for powering up on people. They flaunted their authority every chance they got. You might remember one time where Jesus said, if somebody forces you to go one mile, surprise them and go two. He was talking about the Roman soldiers. They did that all the time to the common people. They could just grab you out of the crowd on the street and command you to carry their stuff, their armor, their pack, whatever, and you had to do it for a mile. They had the position of authority and power and abused it all the time. So it's pretty astounding that they would say of this soldier, oh man, he's a good man. He loves our community. He's gone to bat for us, even rolled up his sleeves and helped us build a synagogue. He deserves for you to do this for him. So this guy is uncommonly respected by the Jewish leaders. And I think verse 2 gives a little insight into this man's character. Let's go back to that. There it's a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. In Roman culture, no one highly valued servants or slaves. They were seen as property, not people. They had value only as they were useful, not because they had any intrinsic worth. They were seen as disposable property, but not so with this work boot wearing captain. He saw people as people. When it says his servant was highly valued, the ancient Greek word that's used here is intimos, which means dear, precious, valuable. It's from where we get our word intimate. In other words, these guys were close friends, which kind of gives you a clue that this man of authority, he was a guy like Jesus who also knew how to lead people from the bottom of the list up. Verse 6, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you even come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. I mean, this is really cool humility. I love how this guy says, just say the word, Lord. He acknowledges Jesus' authority. He says, you are so great. You could do it from right there. You don't even have to come to the house. I believe that you could do like drive-by healings. In fact, I believe that you can do like anything. That's what flows out of this guy's mouth and out of this guy's heart. Verse 8, for I myself am a man under authority. I think this is awesome because he doesn't say, I know authority. In fact, I'm a pretty big deal myself. Got all kinds of people reporting to me. He says, I understand authority because I am under authority too. I got soldiers under me as well. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. He's saying, listen, if, if I am who I am and people do what I tell them to do, then you being who you are, Oh, you'll have no problem just speaking the word. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Let that sink in for a moment. The amazing Jesus being amazed and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant well. Now, I don't want you to miss the very cool ending of this story that Jesus never actually makes it to the house, and still the servant is healed. 
just like the centurion believed could happen. So as Luke is writing here, he wanted us to make sure that we knew that Jesus really does have that kind of miraculous power, just like we sang, show me one thing he can't do. Anything is possible. But as awesome as that is, that's not even the main takeaway from this encounter. Now, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I hope you'll read through them this summer. This means the good news is all about Jesus. If you read through them, you will see that Jesus experiences a wide range of emotions. He feels sudden sympathy for a, for a guy with leprosy. He gets overwhelmed with compassion for that woman that was thrown down in the dirt. He gets excited over his uh, disciples' successes. He has blasts of angers toward cold-hearted racists. He overflows with joy in the presence of little kids. He expresses disappointment over an unreceptive Jerusalem. He, he experienced heart-wrenching grief over the death of a close friend. Three times he cries, just loses it in front of his disciples. Then there are the cries of anguish in the garden garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, just full range of emotions. But only two times in Scripture does it say, Jesus was amazed. One is over in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, where he goes to his hometown, a little hick town called Nazareth, word spreading about his miracles. They hear him speak with incredible wisdom, and then they say to each other, well, he seems cool, but I tell you, he ain't no Messiah. I mean, come on, this ain't, ain't, ain't that guy that used to be on Joseph's framing crew? He's a carpenter. He's Mary's boy. I know his brothers and sisters. They live down the street from me. And they totally reject him. And it says he was amazed, stunned at their lack of faith. The other time is right here in this story. When Jesus is amazed, stunned in a positive way, at this soldier's abundance of faith. The New Testament part of the Bible is written in ancient Greek, and it was the universal language of the day. And the Greek word used here for amazed is thamazo, to marvel, to be struck with admiration, to be impressed. Now, here's the thought. Isn't it cool to think that the one who designed chromosomes and photosynthesis sunsets and galaxies, beaches and flower petals, the maker of giraffes and penguins, our cardiovascular and central nervous system could still be amazed. I mean, how do you amaze that guy? How do you impress that guy? What makes God stand back and go, whoa, that, that is amazing. Well, let me let him answer for himself. Isaiah 66, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Old Testament word used here for esteem is the equivalent to the word used over in Luke for amazed. The Hebrew word is the word nabat, which means to esteem, to regard with pleasure, to respect, or to be impressed. So, what's it take to impress the creator of the universe? Well, according to him, He's always been impressed, always been amazed by the same thing. He is impressed by those who are humble, surrendered, and recognize the authority of His Word. This humble, kind, hard-working, work-boot-wearing Roman soldier says, Lord, just say the Word. I respect you. I respect your Word. You could just speak it. And it could happen. In fact, I tremble at the power of your word. I believe he sensed in some way 
that Jesus was the same God who spoke to the darkness, let there be light. The same one who spoke to a leper, be clean. Who spoke to a paralyzed guy, take up your mat and walk. Who commanded a raging sea, peace, be still. Who called to a man who had been dead for four days, Lazarus, come out. I like what Beth Moore says. She says, Christ's word is action. What he commands, he accomplishes. That's a fact. What impresses Christ, however, is when we believe it's a fact. Jesus is impressed by this guy's belief. He was humble, surrendered, and trembled at Jesus' word, and that amazed Jesus. I thought there was kind of an interesting contrast in what those leaders say to Jesus and what the centurion says to Jesus. Did you catch how the elders of the town say, this man deserves to have you do this. And the centurion says, without any hint of entitlement, he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve you to even come under my roof. One group tried to exercise their authority. The other guy simply recognized it. And gang, only true humility will ever allow you to see that. I, I, can't, I can't begin to tell you how honored I am uh, to be on the team here. It still blows me away that a guy like me would get to do this with my life. And you all have been so gracious to me. But can I tell you what drew me to Lake Point? The humility of Josh Howerton and Steve Stroop. And then eventually the whole team. It runs through this place. Nothing else factored into my decision. Facilities, multiple campuses, opportunity for influence, diversity, all that was re really exciting. But the humility, that was impressive. <laughs> See, Jesus came to give us life, and he said, I come to give you life and give it to you to the full. But we will never be full until we empty ourselves of self. Philip Yancey writes in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a birth defect he could not reverse, a demon he could not exercise. But he did meet skeptics he could not convince, and sinners he could not convert. You see, the forgiveness of sin, the transformation of a life requires an act of humility on the receiver's part. Some people who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and God's love and forgiveness, people who witnessed miraculous things in His presence, still turned away unrepentant, unchanged because they were stubborn and proud and wanted to run their own life. See, although faith may produce a miracle, a miracle doesn't necessarily produce faith. Lots of people who experience the miracles of Jesus, they walked away from him. One time, he feeds over 5,000 people with like this little happy meal, two fish and five biscuits. He has them literally eating out of his hands. And then he starts talking about what it means to deny yourself and take up your cross and really follow him, what it means to count the cost, what it means to place yourself under the authority of a loving God and humbly submit to his leadership. They literally had their fill of his miracles, and they shake their heads and walk away saying, whoa, I'm not up for all that. Why? Because they still wanted to call their own shots. They encountered the master of the universe and still thought that they could do a better job. They were not willing to humble themselves and surrender to somebody else's leadership to voluntarily place themselves under someone else's authority. And gang, I have met tons of people like that through the years. 
In fact, I used to be one of them. I was so full of pride and ego and controlling, wanting to call my own shots selfish, thought I knew better than God. And I still have to surrender that every day to Him throughout the day in the moment so I don't fall back into those old patterns. I ask Him every day to drive that nasty old stuff out of my life. And and I've known way too many people who were so wrapped up in self that they became self-destructive. Plus, they also started destroying everybody else around them without even realizing it. Or if they did realize it, they really didn't care because they were so self-absorbed. I know some of you are familiar with uh, what it says in the big book from AA. It says selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our troubles. And to get well, we had to quit playing God. From time to time, man, we all buck the chain of authority. I want to be God. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody telling me what's right and what's wrong. I got my hands at 10 and 2. I got a firm grasp of the wheel of my life, and I'm going to drive it wherever I want to drive it. And we drive it until we crash. I was talking a couple of weeks ago with a guy who struggled with an addiction for a long, long time. He started telling me, he said, bro, I denied my problems for so long. I kept saying, I got it under control. I can handle this. It was such a lie. I lost everything important to me. Finally woke up and started, uh, cried out to God, and I started going to Regen, and I put my life under His care and control, and I'm finally getting well. And then standing in the lobby, he just paused and said, as if he was thinking back through all the pain, he said, man, if only I'd have been humble sooner. If only I'd have been humble sooner. Listen, the key to getting well, the key to getting whole, restoring sanity, restoring relationships, the key to life, the key to living a better story is humility. It's surrendering to God's authority. It's why every person who is truly successful, successful in relationships, successful in marriage, successful in parenting, successful in recovery, successful in all the things that really matter, they have surrendered their self under the care and control of a loving God. Now, I want to clarify something real quick. Surrender is not the same as commitment. Don't confuse the two. Now, commitment can be a good thing, but it's been my experience it still has a little too much self in it. I'm committed. I can do this myself. I can beat this myself. I will discipline myself. I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And I have learned the hard and frustrating way that commitment that's based on sheer willpower and your own strength it's just setting yourself up for failure. I like how my buddy Dan Webster uh, distinguishes the two. He says, commitment challenges us to a higher level of determination. Surrender calls us to yield the soul to God's higher purposes. Commitment is saying, I'll do better. Surrender is giving up and allowing God to do His work through me. Commitment is my best effort. Surrender is God's competency working through me. Commitment is me trying. Surrender is me trusting. Commitment is me striving. Surrender is me submitting. Commitment is writing big, impressive verbal checks. Surrender unleashes the grace that can actually cash them. It's not, oh, I promise I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again, eat that again, drink that again, watch that again. I promise, I promise, I I I will change. 
Okay, now this time I mean it. I will never do that again, ever, ever. All right, now I'm really serious. No, just every day, Lord, yes, Lord, I'm here again. I'll follow you every moment today as you give me grace. I'm not making any big-time dramatic commitments. I'm just going to surrender my day and humbly trust you with my life every step of the way today. I will be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as he leads me to do the right thing today. I will hide your word in my heart so he can speak right to me in the middle of tough decisions that I might have today. I will listen well today. I will rely on your strength and your peace and your grace today because I don't want just mere behavior modification. I want to be transformed into your best version of me. So once again, Jesus, I place myself under your loving authority today. I'm a slow learner, but I'm, I am learning that it's humility and surrender that opens up my heart to the miraculous work of God in me. It allows Him the freedom to both direct and correct my life. It allows Him the freedom to stretch me, to transform me, to move me out of unhealthy thinking patterns, unhealthy behavioral ruts. I'm just telling you guys, when God sees a man when God sees a woman who is prone to arrogance, pride, and selfishness, and he sees them humble themselves, he is impressed by that. He is amazed by that. He respects that. And with his amazing grace, he starts to go to work on the inside of that person. Now, surrender doesn't always produce a miracle, but it does always precede one. When Jesus approached broken people, he simply wanted to know, is there a willingness to just believe? Is there a willingness to say, is there, is there humility that says, I can't do this, but I believe you can. I believe you can. Keith Miller, in his excellent book, A Hunger for Healing, uh, he writes from his own experience in a 12-step group. He says this, I, as I watched the quote-unquote higher power reveal itself to various people in the group, its personality always had certain definite characteristics. I knew that if everyone were just making up their own higher power, this wouldn't happen. It couldn't. The personality of the higher power revealed in those meetings was always loving and forgiving, gave people however many new starts needed to get into recovery and to get well, was honest, moral, courageous, and strong, but never abusive, was loyal beyond belief whether people deserved it or not. In fact, as I looked carefully at the higher power in the 12-step program, I realized it had a haunting family resemblance to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, the one with real authority. Gang, He changes lives. When you surrender to Him every day, not just in a moment at church, but every day, when you finally loosen your grip on the wheel of your life and you let him drive every day, when you trust, even tremble at the power of, of his word, when you humble yourself under his loving authority every day, when you talk to him all through the day, every day he will start doing miraculous things on the inside of you. But you need to know this. Life may still be hard, but your heart no longer will be. And the situation you're currently looking at may still be there, but the way you see it, will be totally different. And your circumstance might not dramatically change, but you will. And that is the greater miracle.
Why don't you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful you put this story of humility in your word. And God, I, I just want to tell you how sorry I am that it took me years to realize it. Walked around prideful way too long. Want to be in control, call shots. I'm sorry for the way I led people at times. With a power-up mentality, I'm in charge, get in line type of stuff. God, I'm just so grateful for the Holy Spirit that's changing all that stuff in me, and I, I pray He will change it in all of us. God, I, I, I pray, especially on this weekend, for every dad in this place, that they would lead with humility, that they would be men to just accept and affirm, and then watch the accountability and authority take place as as they just authentically love. God, I, I pray for everyone that's in any kind of position of authority, that, that they would do it in a mutually submissive kind of way, a servant leader type of way. God, I pray that we would always be people that are humble of heart and we tremble at your word, that we know you can do anything. God, I pray that today someone voluntarily places themselves under your authority and just watches what you do inside of them. God, there's a bunch of people that listen every week, come every week. They're just in shambles. They feel hopeless. They feel addicted to stuff. They can't stop bad things. Their habits are wreaking havoc in their life. And God, I pray that today would be the day where they just say, I'm going to quit playing God. I just need to humble myself. I need to get some help. I need to take my ego and put it on the shelf, and I just need to humbly put myself under the authority of God who made me and loves me. Father, I pray with all my heart that that happens to somebody today, and I pray it in the name of the amazing Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.